Good morning again. I'm, again, I'm Casey. <laughs> I have the privilege of being an elder here, one of six of us, and uh, Aaron and his family are on the Day Family Christmas, so it could be an eventful thing, and he's not here, and so I get the privilege of uh, teaching today. And so we've been in this series of Jesus Said throughout the whole year, and we've been going through that, and um, we're in the sub-series called Peace Be With You. Right, so Jesus, before he was leaving, says, "You know, he's going to give us his peace and peace be with you." And, um, I like I like telling stories, so that peace be with you story. And today we're going to talk about what real peace is, and not not a false peace. But uh, I can only tell some stories from my line of work because some of them they're just not church appropriate. But this one I think fits it. And and I, there's a, there's a kid, and he's you know. I, I'm a police officer, if you don't know, and there was a call one day that said that a guy wanted to be trespassed, or they wanted to trespass at this location, and they said he was saying that he was Jesus Christ, and that he was in a robe, and that he had a Bible, and he had long flowing hair, and he had a beard, and I'm like, I got to go see this guy. (laughs) Because if this is Jesus and I'm still here, there's a problem, right? I need to be raptured. And so I get there, and sure enough, there's a guy with a white robe. I have a picture. I wanted to put it up here, but I probably shouldn't. But he's in a, he's got a long, flowing robe. He's got long, flowing, beautiful brown hair. He's got a beard, a goatee. He's got an energy drink in one hand, and he's got a Bible <laughs> in the next. And he's also wearing board shorts. And so when I pull up to talk to him, he goes, peace be with you. And I'm like... Oh, we're going to have an interesting conversation. So have you ever had those times where people are like, you know, you you have a statement that's so amazing, but somebody ruins it for you? So this guy, every time I hear peace be with you, I think of this story. (laughs) So long story short, he wasn't Jesus. He got arrested. And when I asked him why he had his board shorts on, he said that, you know, I was going to go swimming. This was October of like 2022, and it was like 80s, and it was really smoky. And he was going to go to the lake and go swimming. And I told him, I said, why? took you more as a walking on the water type of guy. And, and he looks at me and gives me a scowl. And then he's like, can you just not take this Bible and the robe with me to jail? I go, oh, that's going with you. Like, you're, this whole get-up's going. So, so this guy had this false peace. He didn't have peace, right? And then I saw him a couple months later, and he says the same thing. He goes, peace be with you. And I'm like, man, this guy, this is amazing. But this guy doesn't have any peace, right? There's no real peace because he's not the real Jesus, right? So... We want to talk today about the promise of real peace, and we're going to be in John 14, 15 through 27, so uh, we can read this together. It's going to be up on the screen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we get into your word and we talk about your spirit and the promise of real peace that you give to us, just enlighten us, Lord God. Help me to be obedient to your word. Uh, help your spirit to just be here and help us to have a fuller understanding of him in your name. Amen. So, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So he promised that the Spirit was going to come and that he was going to give us his peace. And so in Acts 1-8, this is another time when, when Jesus, this is after he had been crucified and while he was risen and he was with them before his ascension into heaven. And he says this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to them in this last upper room discourse that he gives them. And then he dies and he rises again, and then he gives them another promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them and what he wants them to do. Okay, so then let's skip over to Acts 2, 1 through 4 and talk about the coming of the Spirit. So this is Acts 2, 1 through 4, and it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and we'll talk about Pentecost in a second, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, why did that happen on the day of Pentecost? So the, the word Pentecost actually means 50th, okay? And the Passover, there's three festivals that all Jewish males had to appear before the temple while the temple was there. And it was, Pentecost, it was Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified. So at that day, 50 days prior to Pentecost, Jesus was, was crucified, and all the males had to come in and present themselves to the temple. So God doesn't do anything without purpose, right? It's kind of like one point you can take away from this is that there's a purpose to everything God does. When Jesus was crucified, it was during the Passover week, okay? So all male Jews would have had to go and present, present themselves to the temple, which means there would have been a great group of everybody from that area, right? And so... The other point to that, though, is that when the, after Jesus had, had died and he had risen, he's walking on that road with the, the two guys, and they didn't recognize him. But they're like, you haven't heard about this? So, so Jesus was, was crucified, and they're like, no one's heard about you. You, got, you didn't hear about this, but it was Jesus. But then Pentecost is also another time, 50 days later, and, and 10 days after Christ had ascended. So Jesus was on earth 40 days after he died and rose again, and then he ascended, and then 10 days later, Pentecost happens. And that's another time when all these Jewish males would have been in, in Jerusalem. So it happened at a specific time. So all these, all these people from other nations, when they started speaking in tongues, they started hearing this, this good news, and it, and it changed them, and the Holy Spirit had come upon them. All right, so we'll just do a brief theology lesson on pneumatology. So the Holy Spirit, the, the word for spirit in the Greek is pneumatos, okay? And that just means spirit, little like a little word, lowercase spirit, big uppercase spirit, so like the Holy Spirit, breath, wind, inner life. That's what the word pneumatos means. And so the Holy Spirit is kind of 
a mystery to us, right? We can, we can, we can grasp the Father because everybody who's here had a Father at some point, right? It's biological. So you have a Father, right? So we can understand the concept of the Father. And the Son, we can understand the concept of the Son. But the Spirit is somewhat of a mystery because we can't see Him. We can experience Him. We can take God at His word that He's there. But there's this mystery to it. So some things about the Holy Spirit is the word pneumatos is a neuter word. Okay, So it's not masculine, it's not feminine, it's neuter. But every time that the, whoever wrote, you know, the writers of whatever books, when they, use, when they went, go to use a personal pronoun for the Holy Spirit, they use the word he. So you, they take a neuter word and they use a masculine word to replace it. Okay? So it's, he's a person, right? The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Ananias and Sapphira, it says that, that they lied to the Holy Spirit. Why have you sinned against God? Okay? The, he can be grieved. Uh, we'll talk about that. So you can actually have the Spirit in you, and you can grieve him. You can suppress him. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, is, is, is a person that can give gifts. He can fill you. And we're going to get into all these things. So the Holy Spirit is holy God. He's the third person of the triune God. Okay? So that's a little bit of theology of the pneumatology of that. All right, so point number one to this is we're going to break this down into five pieces, and my wife likes points, so I always do that. So point number one is this. I like to give a plug to my wife. She's a great woman because she puts up with me. Point one, this. Real peace is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Okay, so real peace, point one, is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That gives us peace, right? Before we're Christians, the Holy Spirit is not inside of us. We are spiritually dead, and we'll get into that. But when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, he makes you alive, and we'll go further in that in a minute. But there's these two kids, and they're in this Christian school, and they're really terrible kids. They're, like, stealing, they're lying, they're getting in trouble, and the principal is just like, I got the solution to this. You know, these kids need Jesus in their lives. So she calls them to their office. The first one goes in, and she sits them down, and she's like, I want you to listen to me. Really closely, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And this kid's just sitting there, stone-faced, staring at her, right? Where is Jesus? And he doesn't answer her. And she's like, I want you to think about that. And he's like, she's like, you can go bring in Billy. So he goes running out of her office and runs into Billy. And he's like, what in the world is going on? And he says, I don't know. Jesus is missing, but they're trying to blame it on us. So, so he didn't get it, right? He didn't get it. We need Jesus inside of us, right? We need Jesus inside of us to change us and make us alive. So John 14, 15 through 18 says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you're like, man, if, if, I, love, if I love Jesus, I'll keep his commandments. And I talked about this when I taught last time, and, and this was this specific passage here is, is what, what does it mean to love Jesus and what are his commandments? So I want to just give a reminder here that 1 John 3.23, because if you're like, man, I'm not going to get the Holy Spirit unless I do all this stuff, and that's, that's putting the cart before the horse. So John, uh, 1 John 3.23 says this, his commandments are to believe on Jesus Christ and to love one another, right? It says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So it's very simple. We, we, if, if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. And God's commandments and God's work is this, to believe on the one in whom he sent. Once we do that, we receive the Spirit, and we're able to do those things. We're able to love. Okay, so it goes on further. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So I want to focus on those three words, another, helper, and forever, okay? So the Greek word for another is alos, okay? There's other words in the like in English, it's like another, we got one word for another, and it's another. But in the Greek, there's varying words for another, and alos is one of them, okay? And that means another of the same kind, okay? So he's not just saying like, I'm going to give you another helper. I'm going to give you some other dude to come help you guys out that's not like me. No, I'm going to give you someone that's just like me, of the same kind. He's going to be a helper. Okay, now that word for helper is paraclete. And Aaron, Aaron had said that, and it's parakletos. Okay, and I like to remember it because of like football and track, and there's some athletes in here, but pair of cleats, right? Why do you wear a pair of cleats? Because they help you out, right? It's easy to remember that. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, he's our helper. He helps her out. He helps us out. That, that word parakletos, it means an advocate, an alongsider, a helper, a counselor. Okay, so that another of the same kind, counselor, helper, alongsider, alongsider okay, is going to be with you forever. I think we miss that at times, right? This Holy Spirit is going to be with us forever. The Holy Spirit is going to come and live in us forever. The Greek word for forever is ion, okay? It's where we get our English word eon. How long is it eon? Forever, right? It's forever. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a present versus a future there. It's a present contrasting with the future, and it goes on to infinity. So this Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. Jesus said that to his disciples because the disciples in the, are thinking of the Old Testament stories that they heard about the, old, uh, about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament. He came upon Saul. He indwelt Saul, and then he left Saul. Okay, David, uh, when he sinned, he said, and, and he was brought back in the psalm, he said, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me after he repented. So the Holy Spirit it would come and go. Like Samson had the Spirit. He cut his hair and was disobedient. And then he prayed for the Spirit to come back on him again when he pushed the columns over and he was filled with the Spirit. So the Spirit would come and go in the Old Testament. So when the disciples would hear this immediately and Jesus had said, I'm getting, you're going to have the Spirit, a helper, they could think, oh, well, this helper could come and go, right? But no, what he's saying is that this helper is going to be with you forever. It's not going to be a temporary thing. This indwelling is going to be permanent. So how does this happen? Let's, uh, how does the Holy Spirit live inside of us? How does he come into us? Let's go to Ephesians uh, 1, 13 through 14. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with this promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So some people would say that, you know, this, that once you believe, then you receive the Holy Spirit. And so that could be like, well, is there a period of time that goes between that uh, in Acts, you can, you can go back and look at how the Spirit indwelt believers. And at first they believed, they were baptized, and they had hands laid upon them, and they received the Holy Spirit like that day, right? And then you get into the Samaritans, and they believed and were baptized, but there was a period of time until Peter uh, and them showed up, and then they laid hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. And then you get to Cornelius in, in, nine, in Acts 9, who was a Gentile, and he believed, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and then he was baptized, okay? So there's this progression, right? You might, you, there might be some confusion to that, but the big thing is that God was, was showing that 
the Gentiles were accepted in the same way that the Jews were, and the Samaritans were accepted in the same way as the Jews were, because the Samaritans had Jew, and Jews had a little bit different beliefs, so they needed that confirmation. The Jews needed that confirmation to know that they received the Holy Spirit and they were accepted, right? But we're accepted, and we receive the Holy Spirit immediately when we believe. So this, the way it's broken down in this, in, in this passage is that you believe, and immediately you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? So it happens there. And this Holy Spirit seals us. Um, it's important. The Holy Spirit seals us because it's like an envelope, right? If I, if, I, if I mail a letter to somebody and I seal it, it can't be opened until it gets there. And the contents of it stays in there until it gets there, unless someone, you know, steals your mail, which that happens. <laughs> but, but the recipient, in the way it works in God, is that God promises it. He seals it himself, and he says it's going to be sealed until we acquire possession of it. So that's until a future date. In uh, Ephesians 4.30, it says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit comes in us, and he seals us permanently until a period of time that only God can redeem it because we're purchased by God. So that's, we talk about eternal security, is, is once you receive the Holy Spirit, he's with you forever. And you can even grieve him, and you can upset him, and you shouldn't, and it should change how we live, right? But we can do those things. Second verse that talks about this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the Holy Spirit, Holy God, dwells inside of us. And to summarize this up, that should change our lives, right? That should change us. It should make us live differently, right? Because we have God inside of us, and he's not going to go away. There's other verses that say in Corinthians, when it talks about their sinfulness, that should you take Christ into, you know, a prostitute? Because the Holy Spirit's with you. So wherever you go, the Holy Spirit's with you. And when you sin, he's still with you. And it grieves him, but we need to confess that, right? So we'll get into what filling and whatnot is because there's a difference. But the indwelling of the Spirit is permanent and it happens the moment we believe. Point two, real peace is the Holy Spirit makes us alive. Real peace is the Holy Spirit makes us alive. Joseph Campbell writes about this in the Huffington Post, and I agree fully with this. I don't believe people are looking for the meaning of life as much as they're looking for the experience of being alive. How true is that, right? I mean, I've done some crazy things. I like adventure. I like being, I like going out and pushing myself to feel alive. And sometimes you go push yourself to feel alive and you're like, I don't want to die. I really like being alive. Right. (laughs) And so, um, in 2011, I went on this Colorado running slash hiking adventure with my buddy. And probably one of the most times I ever felt alive was I was in, we were in Leadville, Colorado, and there's a mountain there called Mount Elbert. And I grew up outside of Mount Rainier in Buckley as a kid. So I'd look out my window, and there's Mount Rainier right there, right? And Mount Elbert is like 15 feet, or sorry, it's 28 feet higher than Mount Rainier. Mount Rainier's elevation changes at times because of the glacier on top. But I've always looked at that mountain. I've never hiked it. There's a guy in here that's hiked it 15 times, right? And why do you hike it? Do you feel alive when you're at the top? Yeah, so right, so we do these things, we push ourselves. I hiked Mount Elbert, right? And it's 14,439 feet. 
It's a little bit higher than Rainier. It's the second highest peak in the continental U.S. And my buddy and I, we trail ran it, and then we power hiked it, and we, we got up there, right? And I flew into Denver two days before that, so I was at sea level, so I'm at 14,000 feet like two days later. So the first day, we run around this like horseshoe lake at Leadville. Leadville's at 10,000 feet, so it's like the, one of the highest incorporated towns in the U.S., and there's some cool outlaw saloons there and old-school um, Wild West stuff. But there's a 100-mile Leadville race where people run 100 miles. My buddy who I was with had done that, which is crazy. I can't even comprehend that. But I get to the top, and, and we, we hike and power hike up there. My pulse, you know, because I'm crazy. My wife would say that as I check my heart rate. But it was like 165 beats a minute for hours, right? And you could feel it in my throat. And my hands swelled up because of the elevation, and I probably wasn't, like, really acclimated, but I was in pretty good shape at the time. But, like, I get to the top, and it is just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I felt super alive, right? And it was awesome. Um, but we do these experiences to feel alive, and that's the physical aspect of it, right? There's been other times when I've, you know, you go to Knott's Berry Farm, and there's this crazy, like, seat on this, like, I don't even know what it is, like a swing, but it's like a mechanical, and you're just on the seat by yourself, and you're strapped in, and it goes up, and then it comes down, and you're like, you literally feel like you're being slammed into the ground, and that was one of the times where I was like, I don't want to die. <laughs> like, I like being alive. Like, I don't need to experience this, right? So there's things that we do to feel alive, and then there's, you know, and, and that's what it is, but those are physical things, right? If you haven't received Christ as your Savior and had your sins forgiven and the Spirit comes to live inside of you, you're spiritually dead and there's nothing that you can do to feel alive. There's no physical thing that you can do. You have to believe. All right, so it says this in John 14, 19 through 20. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So there's this weird, it's this weird play on words, but when we believe and receive the Holy Spirit, it says we're taken from that kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. So we're in Christ, and then Christ is in us through his Holy Spirit, and we're in God, right? So there's this, there's this we're alive, we're made alive, right? Uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3, 5 through 6, and you know, he's talking about the Spirit, and you, you, know, you, you have to be born of the Spirit and water and blood and whatnot to get into the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we have to be born again. We have to be made alive. We have to be alive spiritually to get there. You, however, are not in the flesh. This is uh, Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So knowing you're alive, how do we know that we're alive? How can we have the assurance of our salvation? I, I've, in the past, I'd struggled with that, right? Like, because, you know, I didn't really understand it, you know, and I didn't understand all the good things that God has done. But God wants us to know that we're saved. He wants us to know that we're his children and that we're in him. Because when we understand that and we know that, we serve him better. We don't serve him out of fear. We serve him out of gratitude, right? So there's two ways to know this. The word, because God said it. Like, it's all throughout the Bible. We can know this, that 
that we have the Spirit, and two, through our experiences, through a changed life, through, our, through our, the fruit that comes out of the change, changes that the Spirit does in us, right? Romans eight fifteen through 16 summarizes this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you're alive. And we can know that because his, the Spirit talks to our spirit to let us know we're right with God, right? It's that inner peace. But if we live in sin and we, you know, as Christians, and if we sin and we do things that we shouldn't and we don't confess those and get right with God as soon as we can, that hinders us, right? Those feelings can betray us. Even though we're positionally, we're alive, we're not going to feel it, right? So we're not going to have to experience things. So there's a, there's, a, there's a synergy to it that when we're walking with God and filled with his spirit, then we're experiencing that experience portion of knowing that we're good with him, right? Point number three, real peace is the Holy Spirit completing the relationship between God and us. So it says this in John 14, 21 to 25. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So we all live somewhere, right? We live in a house. We live in an apartment. We live in a trailer. We could live in a tent. You can live wherever. And, and, and this is about, like, it's being, like, in the house of God, right? And so... It's like owning a house or buying a house for the first time. It's empty, right? And there's nothing in it, and you can put your touches on it, and you can furnish it with uh, furniture and whatnot and make it more homey, and then you, you move into it and you live, and then you might have a family or you might have a party where people come over and it feels really alive and it's filled up, right? Uh, but you also have these house rules, that if you want to live in the house, how many people had house rules growing up, like their parents' rules, right? And if you want to have a peaceful dwelling and you want to have a peaceful relationship, you got to live by those rules, right? So that's kind of what this is, is that, is that Jesus is saying that, like, if you love me, if you obey my commands, you do this, we're going to, me and the Father, we're going to come and we're going to make our home with him. And this word for home is monet, okay? So there's, there's two other words for houses in the Greek. It's oikios and oikia. And they basically mean the same thing, house or home. But Jesus uses the word monet, and it's only used twice in the New Testament. And he uses it the other time in, in John 14, 2, where he says, In my father's oikia, is house, there are many monets, mansions, right? And so in the father's house, in his big house, in God's house, there's many small mansions, right? And to me, this is very personal because... Jesus is saying that we're going to come into like in that into that mansion in my father's house to be with you, right? We're going to dwell with you and it's going to be you know this this home. We're going to make our home with you. Jesus said in Revelations, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my words and or hears my and opens the door, I'll come and eat with him. I'll come in and be with him, right? Jesus wants to have that relationship with him. But to have that fulfilled relationship is we have to obey by the house rules, right? And his commandments. And if we really love God, we're going to obey his commandments, right? 
2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18 says this. And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons, daughters, and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God's calling us because we're in this relationship. The Holy Spirit's inside of us. We've been made alive. God has made his dwelling with us in our hearts and in our lives. He's calling us to a higher living, right? Like, how does that play out? It's like we follow God, right? We live for him. We experience him. Point number four, real peace is the Holy Spirit helping us understand God's truth. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's kind of two paths I want to talk about this. is like how it applies to the Bible and how it applies to us, right? So the disciples, if we go back and think about them, is that in that Jesus is going to say that the spirit that's going to be in you, he's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring to your understanding the things that I said. And so the disciples, they weren't these super awesome, amazing guys, right, before they met Jesus. They were fishermen, and they were a tax, one was a tax collector. It doesn't say about what the other ones did. One was sitting under a tree when he was found, okay, he was hanging out. Um, Paul was a tent maker, but he was also a Pharisee. So Paul was probably the most learned of all the apostles, right, because he had that training. But these guys were just average dudes. John MacArthur wrote a book called 12 Ordinary Men, and they changed the world, right? Like, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a master's in divinity. God teaches us through his spirit when we get into his word. He opens it up for us, right, and becomes alive. It's a living book. So have you ever wondered, you know, have you ever wondered, like, how the gospel writers quoted Jesus? Like, because all these gospels are written, like, years later, and they're directly quoting Jesus, right? You read that, like, oh, that's crazy. Like, how'd they write that down, you know? But this verse explains that, is that he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So this is where we get the, like, the inspiration of of, of the scriptures and the infallibility of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It also says this in 2 Peter 1.21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we can be inspired by the Spirit. We can be taught by the Spirit. You know, put the, God put the Bible together through the Holy Spirit and brought to the remembrance, but he also teaches us his truth when we, when we delve into it. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is, not ju- is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I've read a lot of theology books, and I've read a lot of people that are very learned. Harvard Theological Seminary, Princeton Theological Seminary. You know, there's these uh, philosophers, and they're really, really smart people. But some of them don't have the Spirit of God, and what they write makes absolutely no sense, right? And it's like, that sounds great, right? But it's not biblical. It's not spiritual, right? Because they don't have the Spirit. They might be really smart, but they don't have God's Spirit, right? John 16, 13 through 15 says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Spirit leads us in truth, right? He helps us to understand truth. One more point and we'll get out of here. Number five, the Holy Spirit is real peace. Real peace is a person. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I, you know, we have last will and testaments, right? You know, we really hope we have that rich uncle that leaves us a bunch of money, right? You know, and it's money, it's temporary, it's a physical thing. But Jesus' last will and testament to his disciples is, I'm going to leave you real peace. I'm going to leave you a portion of myself. I'm going to leave you my spirit, right? So he's giving us something greater than money. C.S. Lewis says this, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You know, I run into a lot of people that are miserable life and you know, it's like you're missing this inner peace and it's God's spirit inside of us. It's knowing who we are in God. It's experiencing him. It's living in him. It's being filled with his spirit. Romans 8, 6 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The fruit of the spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Those things, those, those, that fruit comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of us and living out of us. It changes us. I'm going to leave you with the last, uh, an illustration here. There once lived a very wealthy man who was willing to pay a small fortune to the artist who could best illustrate the presence of peace. Several artists brought paintings of sunsets and quiet meadows, but the man did not accept any of these. One day as he was walking through, looking at the most recent attempts, two paintings captured his attention. One was a painting of a beautiful calm lake surrounded by lush green mountains. The water seemed as still as glass, and wispy white clouds danced in the bright blue of the sky. Next to this painting was another with vast differences. There was also a picture of a lake surrounded by mountains, but the strong winds had whipped the lake into a tempest, and the dark clouds hovered about the rugged mountain landscape, ready to release a downpour of torrential rains. The audience, standing about, watched with anticipation to see which one the man might choose to depict the story of peace. All were shocked when he did not choose the first, but instead chose the second. How could such a stormy scene 
tell a story of peace. The rich man explained, the first painting was beautiful and peaceful, but it did not tell the truth of where peace can be found. Anyone could feel peaceful upon a crystal clear lake with white clouds drifting across the sky and a barely a breeze blowing across the water. Then he pointed out something in the second painting which everyone else had overlooked. If you peered closely into the mountains of the second, there was a waterfall, and tucked into a crevice of the mountain near the waterfall was a small nest on which a mother bird sat upon tiny blue eggs. The man spoke. This second painting is a picture of true, perfect peace because it is within the storms of life we find real peace tucked into the side of God, knowing his presence will guard and protect us even in the midst of this world's storms. So, Charles Ryrie says this, If the Lord of glory did not do without the ministry of the Spirit, how can sinners, though redeemed, live independently of his power? So God gives us that. And the question I want to leave you with is, What's, you know, what's the next step? Where do we go from here? And that's to answer the question, honestly, do you have real peace? Do you understand that the Spirit of God lives inside of you? Or if you don't have that peace and you don't understand that and you don't know Jesus, do you know him? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? It's an absolutely free gift. The moment you trust in him and it's that repentance and faith as I'm going my own way, and I turn and I look to Jesus and say yes to him and I believe on his death and resurrection for your sins, the Holy Spirit immediately comes inside of you and you have real peace. He comes to dwell in you forever and he'll never leave you. So do you have that? Do you have real peace? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Even though it's, a wind, even though it's unseen and it's described as a wind and breath and a spirit, Lord, you're there. And you want to give us your real peace that lasts in the midst of life storms. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, as it says. That you want to indwell us and give us your peace and protect us and keep us forever. And we just thank you for that and pray this in your name. Be with us this week. Amen. Amen.